Lord, we pray that you would make us holy instruments in your hand. We pray, Lord, that today your word would do that work in our life to correct us if we are in error, to rebuke us, to call us back to righteousness, to help us to reflect our God. And so, Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us and convict hearts and teach us and instruct us and help us to have as our single aim to bring glory to our God and Father. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1985, an author by the name of Bob Black wrote an essay called The Abolition of Work. And this is how he starts off his essay. No one should ever work. Work is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you'd care to name comes from working or from living in a world designed for work. In order to stop suffering, we have to stop working. Now, that's the spirit of the world today. That's not the spirit of the scriptures, and it's not the message that comes from God. You know, oftentimes when you talk to people and you're leaving, they'll say, hey, don't work too hard or take it easy. And if I'll say, well, how are you doing? Like I clean windows. So I'll go into a store and I'll say to the person behind the counter, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. It's Friday. The, the spirit of everybody, it seems to be that we're going to live for the weekend, live for leisure, live for rest, live for play, live for entertainment. And we have to work. That's, that's something that we all hate to do, but we have to do it so we can get to what we really want to do, which is to play and enjoy and rest and have fun. So what I want to ask you this morning is, what does the Bible say about work? What does the Bible say about laziness? And what is God's will for our lives as Christians? That's what we're going to be dealing with today. One of the great problems in America is that we've made an idol out of entertainment. I mean, I don't, that's easy to see when you just look around. We made an idol out of entertainment because as you, as, as you look at the advanced technology, we have made it so easy, we made it so easy to fix our gaze on our phones or our iPads or our computer or our um, Xbox or whatever you have that people have become addicted to entertainment. It's one of the great problems, I think, in the church here in America. Um, when I was growing up, see, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself. I'm 58 years old. When I was growing up, we had a little black and white TV. And we watched that, but we didn't watch it very much because we were too interested in sports. We would go outside, and year-round, we played basketball, baseball, football. We lived on a lot, and right next to it, there was an empty, vacant lot, and we transformed that vacant lot into a baseball diamond. We put chalk lines down first and third base. We built a, uh, a pitching mound. We even, we, I guess this was illegal. We didn't know it at the time, but we, we drew a line with paint across the street, and we wrote, Home Run. And 10 years after we moved away, that line was still there that says home run, because that was our home run line. If you hit it over that line, you got a home run. And we played every day. I mean, I have four brothers, so there's five of us. We almost had a team in our, our family. And we gather up all the people around the neighborhood. And in addition to playing sports every day, we were out at the creek, building rafts, sailing down the creek, building tree houses, forts, 
I mean, we were just outdoors all the time. Now compare that with the average child today. The average child today has his nose in a screen for six hours every single day. It's become a huge problem. Did you want to say something? You do that? Okay. Well, I expect most young people do that. Um, it's one of the reasons that obesity has tripled since 1970 in children. Because they don't exercise anymore. They sit around looking at a phone or looking at a, an Xbox. One in five children are obese today, which is uh, astonishing. The church in centuries past preached against worldly entertainment. You know, you go back in the 1800s or the 1700s and read the writings of the, the pastors and writers back then, and they would talk about the theater as something that no real Christian should ever go to. The theater. We think, boy, that's innocent. because We come, we come a long way, baby. Have a way. Because we have basically adopted the entertainment of the world whole hog and just brought it into the church. As long as there's not too much nudity or profanity, we'll just accept whatever the world's got and just bring it right on into the church. And the church is not much different than the world when it comes to being addicted to entertainment. You go out to a restaurant and look at the people in the restaurant. There might be five or six people at a table, and instead of looking at each other and talking to each other, every single one of them is looking down at a phone. I even see that in our church sometimes. People, we're supposed to be fellowshipping and people are looking at their phone rather than engaging in a real person that's sitting right across the table from them. So it, it, it's, a, it's a major problem. When the Super Bowl comes around, many churches almost shut down. It, they still have a service, but what they do is they watch the game together and then at halftime they turn off the TV and there's a, a mini a sermonette that he'll give and then turn the TV back on to watch the rest of the Super Bowl. And so the Super Bowl is more important than the worship of God. I've known many guys who will race home as soon as they can after church because they don't want to miss the game on Sunday afternoon. Why is it that we can watch four hours of TV or looking at Facebook and have no problem, but when it comes to praying for five minutes, we just can't do it? It's because the spirit of entertainment has infiltrated the church and we're duped by it. We're going to continue our series this morning on putting sin to death, and the particular sin we're going to look at is laziness. What does the Bible say about it? The church fathers from hundreds of years past tried to label the seven deadly sins, and they came up with a list. This is the, these are the seven sins that they compiled that they believed were mortal or deadly. Pride, envy, anger, laziness, greed, gluttony, and lust. So before we go any further, let's try to define our terms. When I say laziness, what do I mean? It's real simple. I mean a disinclination to work. We're not talking about the person who is unable to work. We're talking about the person who doesn't want to work. That's the lazy person. Now, from John 6.35, we define the essence of faith to be this. Coming to God to find satisfaction in Him. And I don't have time to go back to John 6.35 and explain how that definition arises from that text, but you can do it. Just read the text and you'll see. It's a coming to God to find satisfaction in Him. Unbelief is turning from God 
to find satisfaction in something else. So what is laziness? It's turning from God to find satisfaction in ease and entertainment. That's the spirit of the world. And it's a sin that we in the church must repent of if we see it in ourselves. Now, I'm going to take a look at four different aspects of laziness this morning. The rebellion of laziness, the range of laziness, the results of laziness, and then the remedy of laziness. So first of all, the rebellion. What we need to understand, first of all, is that God is a worker. Let's put up Genesis 2.2. It says there, By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. You see, for six days God worked, creating. Creating the heavens and the earth and filling it with plants and animals. And then his crowning creation was man. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now, why do you suppose God rested? Was he just so tired he just couldn't lift another finger? Of course, it's ludicrous. No, God rested, I believe, because he wanted to show man a pattern. He wanted to show man that the bulk of your life is to be invested in working, and then you're to take a break and rest so that you can restore the energy you need to continue to work. In other words, God is a worker. And if we are to be godly, which means to be like God, we also will be workers. Jesus also is a worker. In John 5.17, he said, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. In John 4.34, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was Jesus' food. It's what sustained him and nourished him and gave him strength. Jesus loved to be about doing the will of God and working to do his Father's will. The Spirit of God is also a worker. 1 Peter 1, 2 talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 speak about the great shepherd of the sheep. Let's just take a look at that. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So the God of peace is working in us. How does the Spirit work? He's continually, continually working in his people to bring forth the fruits of righteousness. Or Philippians 2.13, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When we refer to what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his death and resurrection, what do we commonly call that? His finished work. Jesus is a worker. The Spirit is a worker. The Father is a worker. And if we are lazy and don't work, we are not like our God, meaning we are not godly. We're not godly believers. Now, some people say, well, okay, I can see all of what you're saying, but, but, but wait a minute. Sin or, or work is really a curse. Right? Work is a curse. We didn't have to work before sin came in and God cursed the man and said, uh, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to bring forth these things. 
But that's not true, because Genesis 2.15 tells us that God put Adam into the garden before the fall to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, if you're going to cultivate and keep a garden, you're working. Folks, did you know that work is not a curse, but it is a blessing? God has given it to us for our good because he knows it is good for us to work. If we have grown up in this mentality that work is bad and that you're to get rid of work at all costs and you're to rest as much as you can, you are not thinking according to the scriptures. You've got a warped idea of what God wants for his people. God wants his people to be hard workers. You know, we talk about the Protestant work ethic. The Protestant work ethic is basically what this scripture says about work. And it says it's not a curse. It's a blessing. It's given to us from God for our good and for the good of those that we help when we're working. And that it's not a curse. I can tell you in my own life, work is one of the great sources of satisfaction and fulfillment that I have. Honestly, I I own a business and before I ever had employees, I worked and I worked my tail off because there was no one else to do it. I did everything and now I have employees and I still work very, very hard. But along with the hard work comes a source of satisfaction that I receive and, and benefit and blessing that I don't think I would enjoy were it not for that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's go to the New Testament and see what it says about work. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. We're going to start in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6 and read on down through verse 14. And there's a lot here. We could stop a long time, but we, we're not. I'm just going to make a few points. He says, now we command you. This is an apostolic command with the authority of Jesus Christ. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Well, what does Paul mean by living an unruly life? Well, look at verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. What is your example? Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and a hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. wonder if we followed that rule today, how many hungry people we'd have. (laughs) For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons, here it comes that apostolic authority again. We command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Did you know that church discipline discipline can be exercised if a person is lazy and will not work? That's verse 14. If you know somebody who will not work, you're not even supposed to associate with him. Now, how does a church do that? 
they have to remove somebody from the church. Otherwise, they're going to be associating with a person who refuses to work, even though he's able-bodied. Now, we're not talking about people who can't work. That's completely different. We're talking about people who can work and will not. You see how serious this is? In America, we have certain sins that are respectable. There are certain sins that we just never mention. Laziness is one of those sins. Gluttony is another one. We just never mention gluttony. We never mention laziness. But they're sins. And they're sins against God that we must repent of. And that they defile our character before the Lord. If we want an upright character before the Lord, we need to be workers. And if we have this lazy spirit in us, we need to get rid of it. We need to work at getting rid of that lazy spirit. I'm going to have some directions at the end of the message on what we can do to help ourselves if we find that we have this lazy spirit within us. So to summarize, well, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. I can't summarize yet. First <laughs> Timothy 5.8, let's put that one up. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, you're going to have to work if you're going to provide for your own. He's talking about providing the necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter. If you won't do that for your own and for your household, you're worse than a non-Christian. So basically, you're going to have to be a worker if you're going to provide for your own. And if you will not work, you're, you're worse than a person that doesn't even claim the Christian faith. Or how about Acts 20, verse 34 and 35? Paul says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now here we start to understand a little bit about why God wants us to be hard workers. One of the reasons is he wants us to be able to help the weak and help those who have uh, the poor, the, those that, for whatever reason, are unable to provide for their own needs. He wants us to work hard so that we have a surplus and that we can give to them. Or Ephesians 4.28, He who steals must steal no longer. Well, if you're not going to steal, what do you do? But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. There it is again. God wants you to work so that you have money, so that if somebody loses their job, you can help them. Or if somebody um, breaks their back and can't work, you can help them. Or if someone loses their home, you whatever it is, you've got a surplus because you are a diligent, hard worker using your time effectively. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, Notice this, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The will of God for his people is to always abound in the work of the Lord. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. And in verse 26, he is speaking to that slave who would not work, but he took his talent and just buried it, did nothing with it. And the master says, you wicked, lazy slave. Now that's all we really want to notice from that verse, because laziness is associated with what? Wickedness. 
<laughs> Do you know if you're lazy, you're wicked? I mean, let, let that arrow hit home this morning. If you're lazy, you need to own up to it and need to admit, yeah, I'm a wicked person because I'm un unwilling to work. So to summarize, laziness is evil. Laziness is wicked. Laziness is sin. Laziness is contrary to the nature of God. God has called every Christian to be zealous for good works, Titus 2.14. And good works implies that you're going to have to work in order to do that good work. So there we have the rebellion. It's rebellion against God to be lazy. But let's notice the range of laziness. And what I mean here is, what's the range? What are the different types of laziness that we see in people's lives? It's a big range. I'm just going to focus on three quickly. First of all, there's physical laziness. Physical laziness. That's why employees show up late, go home early, take hour and a half lunches, take 20-minute breaks, and try to do as little as of work as they possibly can. And I own a business, and why I have a worker who's like that, he's instantly fired. I will not tolerate a lazy worker. God doesn't tolerate laziness. Neither should we. We are to be diligent workers. I think that's why Americans have such a hard time with uh, physical exercise. Why every January 1st, we start this new resolution. We're going to the gym five times a week. And by the end of the first month, it's like one time a week. And pretty soon we don't go at all because we're lazy. Let's just admit it. <laughs> we're physically lazy. And we're turning out children who are lazy because all they ever do is sit and look at a screen. Now, parents, I want to encourage you. Maybe it's it's okay to let your children look at their phone or look at the computer screen for a limited amount of time, but let it be a limited amount of time and then turn it off and put them outside and tell them, go play, <laughs> go exercise, go run around, go build some forts, you know, go play some baseball, do something rather than looking at a screen. You know, I never thought I'd be looking back to my days and say they were the good old days, but they really were. They're, they're, they're better days than today in many respects. <laughs> so physical laziness is one. Mental laziness is another. Mental. God has given us such a, a, a precious thing when he gave us this brain. We are rational creatures. We can think. We're not like the animals who go by instinct. We, we're rational. We're intelligent. We can think. But how many of us use our brains to its full potential? Very, very few. Even the Einsteins, you know, among us, used 10% of the capacity of their brain. And probably most of us use 1% or less. There was a study done recently that said most people stop learning by the age of 40. And a lot of people stop learning by the age of 25. Do you know how many people never read anything? They just don't read. I want to encourage you to be mentally vigorous and mentally diligent so that you continue to learn the rest of your life. There's so much in this world to learn, folks. It's everywhere. I just discovered YouTube documentaries about a year ago. And one of my favorite things to do before I'm winding down at night, getting ready to go to sleep, is to watch a documentary. And man, I've learned so much. I've learned about the Civil War. I've learned about Hitler. I've learned about World War II. I've learned about killer whales and all the things they do and dolphins and crocodiles. I've learned, what else have I learned? Just a bazillion things. And it, you know what? I find it fascinating. 
I watched a documentary last week about this 1,500 people at the height of the Jesus movement who moved from San Francisco back to Tennessee, bought 1,700s of land and lived on a commune. And just all the things they went through. Now, they weren't even Christians. It was just a spiritual, new-agey kind of a group. But I was just like... I'm just fascinated with that stuff. Or if I go back into history and try to imagine what it was like to live in these people's shoes. I've read about abolitionists and I've read or watched documentaries on the women's right movement. Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Man, there is so much to learn. It's everywhere. Are we learning anything? Are you learners? Are you growing mentally? I want to stir you up to be learners. You know, don't mentally check out and just veg in front of the TV for four hours a night. What profit is that giving you? Is that giving you any benefit to your life? Think about what you could be doing as a human being growing in your potential. I hope when I'm 96, I'm still learning something new. I don't want to check out mentally of this world. There's I, One of the great things about the new, new earth, I believe, is that we're going to always be learning. There's going to be so much to learn in the new heavens and the new earth. New things about God and new things about his creation. It blows my mind sometimes to watch the weird creatures that God has created that live under the sea 2,000 feet down where nobody's ever seen them. Just they're there. <laughs> and why did God do that? For his own pleasure. You know, he wanted that creature to exist because it pleases him to do it. Do we even know about what God has done? So mentally, let's be committed to not vegging out but be active with our minds. And not just reading uh, fiction novels all the time. Now, there's a time and a place for that, but there's so much to learn that has to do with reality. Why, why waste the rest of our life on novels when we can learn something that would help us? Okay, thirdly, spiritual laziness, which is probably the most serious of all, spiritual laziness. And I already mentioned, we can sit and watch four hours of TV and have no problem with that, but tell us to go out and pray for 15 minutes. And we say, oh, I could never do that. That's just so hard. You don't know what you're asking. I'm going to get a headache right now thinking about it. You know, it's because we're spiritually lazy. We have little time to help others, little time to be out witnessing and sharing our faith and sharing the gospel because we crowd it out with entertainment and leisure, and rest, and fun. You know, if you lived 100 or 200 years ago, you would be working from sunup till sundown just to survive. And a lot of countries of the world, it's the same way. They don't have the leisure time we do in America. So what do we do with all this free time that we have? We waste it. Do you know how precious time is, folks? Maybe that you've never thought about that. And that's, I was supposed to talk about this later, but I'll talk about it now. Time is so precious because once it is gone, you will never get it back. You have a limited amount of time on this earth. And when your time is gone, it's up. And you stand before your maker and he's going to ask you to give an account for the time that he's given to you to dwell on this earth. What'd you do with it? Well, I wasted it on 26,432 hours of TV. Okay, well, there go your rewards. 
Spiritual laziness. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a generation past, made this statement. The one thing people dread more than anything else is to have to go to church on Sunday morning and be made to think because they want to be entertained instead. And that's why we've got rock concerts at church and smoke bombs at church. And we've got skits and drama and movies. And It used to be that you went to church to worship and to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And we will, you know, we're trying to make it appealing to the non-Christian today. Uh, it's because of this cult of entertainment worship. In any church... 20% of the people do the work and 80% of the people sit by and watch and criticize. It's because of spiritual laziness. The world tells you you're supposed to work hard until you're 65 and then you retire and then you get to play. Now tell me where that's in the Bible. Where is that in the Bible? I hope and pray that the five minutes before I die, I'm still trying to do something for Jesus Christ. I don't want to retire. I never want to retire. Retiring is boring. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Sit around counting seashells or something? I, I want to do something important with my life, don't you? I mean, God has given us one life to live. We'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. So stir yourself up from a spirit of laziness and let's do something for God and His kingdom. Now, the lazy person is really very self-centered because all they're thinking about is themselves. Their comfort, their ease, their rest, their pleasure. They're not considering anybody else. They're not considering God, the church, their neighbor. They're considering what they want at that particular time. And it's a moral problem, just like drinking or sexual sin or covetousness. Laziness is a moral issue. Laziness is going to cost you to waste your life. Do you want to waste your life or do you want to use it for something grand and good and noble that you'll receive a well done? You're not going to receive a well done if you waste away your life. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, wrote these words, Everlasting joys will not drop into the mouth of the lazy soul. These things are not trifles. They will cost us diligence and seriousness. He was right. Everlasting joys come to the person who exerts themselves in the Christian life, who makes sacrifices in the Christian life, who gives himself to his Christian life. So the three areas I mentioned, uh, physical laziness, mental laziness, and spiritual laziness. Now let's talk about the results of laziness. What does laziness do in a person's life? And for these, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs, because the book of Proverbs speaks about the sluggard. Have you ever seen a slug? <laughs> that, that gross, ugly insect? It is an insect, isn't it? It's a little thing that crawls really, really slowly along the ground. The sluggard is kind of like a slug. He moves very slow if he moves at all. The sluggard is a habitually lazy person. That's what a sluggard is. Now, the first result of laziness is that it destroys self-motivation. Look at Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Solomon is writing to his son, trying to teach his child, and he says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which having no chief, 
officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Have you ever looked at ants? They're, they're really fascinating creatures. Have you looked at an ant hill? And here they all, they're streaming up from somewhere down in the earth and they're coming up and they will carry things, heavy things. An ant can carry 20 times its weight. If I was an ant, I could pick up my Ford Ranger over my head and walk around. I mean, that's how strong they are. And they're busy, busy, busy. They're running here and scurrying there. And there's no one cracking the whip. You know, there's no boss saying, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. There's no uh, chief officer or ruler. They're self-motivated. It comes from within them. They want to do what they're doing. See, that's the deal. They want to work. Every child of God should want to work. Not be forced into it. We shouldn't have to have someone prodding us and pushing us and saying, go do this. Come on, come on, come on. I don't have all day. Do this now. If, if I have a worker that I have employed who is not self-motivated, he doesn't last very long. If I have to constantly be on him to tell him to do this, he shows me that he's a lazy person. We need to be self-motivated. We need to have the drive coming from within us to accomplish something. So laziness destroys self-motivation. Secondly, it causes us to be unprepared for the future. Verse 7 says, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So the ant is busy, busy, busy gathering food during the summer so it has food to eat on in, in the winter when it can't find any other food. But what about the sluggard? Instead of working, 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 he's sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. <laughs> How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you get up from your bed? When are you going to get out of bed? I've, I've known teenagers who won't get out of bed till one or two in the afternoon. I mean, it's so frustrating. My own... Well, at least I'm not here from, to hear this today. But my own teenage sons were like that. And we're going, what are we going to do with these guys? <laughs> a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. What happens? Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. In the future, when you need resources and money to live on, you're not going to have any because you wasted your time in the past. You're unprepared for the future, unlike the ant who stores up what they need for their, for their winters. So if you're in a place now where you, you're just unprepared for what you're facing, it might be that you're lazy and you didn't work hard in the past to prepare yourself for that time. Thirdly, laziness will cause us to be unhappy. It will cause misery to come into your life. Look at Proverbs 21, 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death. For his hands refuse to work. All day long he's craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. Notice the contrast between the sluggard and the righteous, which tells you, first of all, that the sluggard is not righteous. He's contrasted to the righteous. He's unrighteous. Secondly, the righteous person is giving all day long because they work really hard and they have a surplus so that they can give out to people in need. The sluggard will never be able to do that. He wants and wants and craves and craves, but he doesn't have anything. 
his sluggardliness puts him to death, meaning that brings misery and unhappiness into his life. Uh, all for the reason that his hands just refuse to work. Or look at Proverbs 15, verse 19. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Now here we've got two different paths contrasted. We've got the way of the lazy, the path of the upright. Again, laziness is contrasted to uprightness. Two different paths. The path of the upright is like a highway. Broad, spacious, easy to go down. But the path of the lazy is a hedge of thorns. Have you ever tried to walk through a hedge of thorns before? It's painful. It cuts you, scrapes you, shreds you. By the time you get through, you've got cuts and blood going from all over your body because of the misery of trying to pass through this hedge of thorns. He describes the life of a lazy person like trying to pass through a hedge of thorns versus being able to walk on a spacious highway. It'll bring misery and unhappiness into your life if you cultivate and give way to a spirit of laziness. A fourth result, it brings poverty. Proverbs 24.30, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. Every time you drive by that house with the grass three feet high and garbage bags along the side of the house and the windows completely messed up and the gutters broken and hanging down, reflect upon it, look and receive instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber. A robber comes when you're not expecting it to do damage to you. Your want will come like an armed man. This says that the sluggard is going to face poverty and want in his life. Now, that is not to say, of course, that every poor person is lazy. I want to make that clear. There are people that are not lazy, but just because of circumstances, they just they need a break, and they've never had that break. But it does mean that if you are lazy you can expect in your future to come into a place of want because you're not doing now what you need to do to prepare. So that's another result of laziness. So I would encourage parents, do not give your kids whatever they want without working for it. If you're born into this world with a silver spoon in your mouth, you never have to work a day in your life for anything you get, you'll never appreciate and never value the things you have. And you'll never have the joy of learning the satisfaction of receiving something after working hard for it. There's joy in that. You want to deprive your kids of joy and lead them into a life of unhappiness and misery? Just give them everything they want without working for it. I would say set up, um, set up goals that, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take out the trash every day for a month. I want you to mow the lawn, whatever it is. And after that period of time, after working hard, I'm going to bless you with this thing. Maybe it's a bicycle or whatever they're really wanting to have. Again, laziness causes us to make excuses. That's another result. It results in us making excuses. Proverbs 26.13 The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. 
Now, folks, back in these days, <laughs> they would build walls around their villages and cities. Lion is not just going to walk into a village. It can't. So why is the sluggard saying there's a lion in the open square? It's, it's a ridiculous excuse, right? It's a lame-brained, preposterous excuse that he's just fabricated because he doesn't want to go to work. So he's coming up with some reason why he shouldn't have to work that day. And, you know, we think, well, that's, that's really crazy that he would come up with an excuse like a lion being in the road. But what about the kid who says, well, teacher, I don't have my homework today because my dog ate it, you know? Or I, I couldn't clean up my room because an alien came through the window and made me play video games all last hour, you know? <laughs> or, or I can't come to church because it's just too far to drive. You know, these crazy, stupid excuses that we can come up with just because we're lazy. Another result. Laziness will cause you to procrastinate. Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. So, the autumn comes, the time for harvest. Harvest comes and goes. It's time to prepare the soil for next year. What does a slugger do? Nothing. He says, well, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'm just too tired today. Tomorrow, he says the same thing. Then he says the same thing after that. Pretty soon, it's time for the next harvest to come around, and he's done nothing to prepare the soil or to plant the soil or to weed his garden, and he has no uh, harvest that's come in at all. He has procrastinated day after day after day, and now he's going to reap the harvest of going in want because of his own lazy spirit. If you have a problem with procrastinating, I want to give you a very, very simple guide, and I believe this will help you immensely. Okay? Write down those things that you have to accomplish, and then put a number next to each one as the order of importance from 1 to 10 or however many things you have to do. Number one, this is the most important. And then attack that number one, no matter if it's easy or hard, doesn't matter. Just attack it and work on it until you accomplish it. Don't go to number two until you've accomplished number one. That way, even if you don't accomplish nine things that day, you've got the most important thing done that particular day. And then just keep going down the list, attacking each one until they're all accomplished. There was a poem written by Edward Guest. He said, He was going to be all that a mortal could be tomorrow. None should be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it too. On him he would call to see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he'd stack up the letters he would write tomorrow. And he thought of the friends he would fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed he was busy each day and hadn't a minute to stop on his way. More time I'll give to others, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view. And all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Are you going to die with a mountain of things you always intended to do but never got around to? 
Stir yourself up, my friend, to be a doer and not a hearer of the Word of God. Another result, laziness will cause you to not complete what you start. Proverbs 12.27 A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. What does that mean? It means he goes out hunting. He kills his prey, back then probably with a bow and arrow, I'm guessing. They kill the prey, but they never get around to actually cleaning the prey. If it's a bird, taking off all the feathers, cutting it up, and then roasting it and eating it. Why not? Well, because that's work. The fun part is hunting it. The work is cleaning and preparing it to eat. So do you do only those things in your life that you enjoy? Only the fun things? And never complete what you start because it's distasteful to you? You don't relish that particular part of it? This proverb's talking about you if that's the case. So the lazy man will not complete what he starts. And then finally, the lazy person will constantly oversleep. Proverbs 6, verses 9 through 11. We've already read it. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Or Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. He just turns this way, sleeps. When he gets too much awake, well, he just turns over on the other side and sleeps some more. It's like a door on his hinges, back and forth, never gets out of bed, just turns over and over. Now, studies teach that most, most adults need between seven and eight hours of sleep a day. I've known some people who didn't need that much. You know, maybe even four or five hours is all they need and they can get by fine. But most need somewhere between seven and eight. If you're in the habit of sleeping nine or 10 or 11 or 12 hours a night, there's something wrong, probably, unless there's something physically wrong or you're, you're aging. Sometimes as we age, we just need more sleep. But if you're healthy and you're young and you're sleeping that many hours, get out of bed. You're, you're in bed too long. Daylight's a burning. There's things to be done. Up and working for the kingdom. You don't want to sleep your life away. There's too much to accomplish. Do you understand? <laughs> life is important. Why sleep it away? Sleep as much as you need so that you have strength to accomplish what God has called you to do for that day. But don't sleep hours longer than you need to because you're wasting precious time that he's given to you. Okay, so those are the results of laziness. Let's look at the remedy. If you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but does anybody see any of these traits going on in your life today? <laughs> okay, what do we do about it? I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you some suggestions. First of all, confess your laziness as sin to God. Unless you come clean with it and say, God, I realize this is sin. It's not just, it's not just something trivial that is of no, va no importance. It, it's important. It's, it's sin against you, and I confess that it's sin, and I'm sorry, Lord. I repent of that sin. Please help me to change. That's where it starts. Secondly, Cultivate a relish for work. That word relish means desire. Um, an enjoyment of. Did you know you can enjoy working? God wants us to enjoy work. Now the fall did bring about the fact that work is frustrating. Thorns and thistles, the world is going to grow now. 
So there are these thorns and thistles that make it frustrating to work and you're going to sweat in order to do it. But that doesn't take away the overall scheme of things that work is a blessing to man. And I can personally testify to you that work is a blessing. I find fulfillment and satisfaction in it. We moved here in 2008 from Sonora. The end of 2008 was right after Thanksgiving. And I had a little window cleaning company in Sonora. We believed God wanted us to come to Sacramento to start a house church. We started it with my brother and his sister, I mean his wife and then their best friends. So we came to Sonora at the end, or I mean from Sonora to Sacramento at the end of 2008. I had zero customers. We had no money coming in. And I thought, what in the world are we going to do? How can I support my family with no customers here in Sacramento? And I didn't know how to get customers. I didn't have a website. I didn't have any online presence. And so I did the only thing I could think of to doing was I made up flyers. I made 25,000 flyers and I put up flyers on 25,000 doors in the first six months of being here. And I did it in the winter when nobody calls you for window cleaning. So for eight hours, every single day of Monday through Friday, from eight o'clock to five o'clock at night, I'm going door to door to door to door, putting up flyers, not getting any calls, but I was absolutely bound and determined. I wasn't stopping because I had to provide for my family. And this is the only way I knew to do it. I even bought a little scooter, a little gas scooter that would take me from house to house so I could get there faster and get more flyers up done in a day. And by the time spring rolled around in April and May, I started to get calls in. And we survived that year. We had to really buckle down and not and put other things aside for the first year and just really scrimp, but we made it through. The next year, the business doubled. And it's been going up every single year since then. And so I look back to 2008, and here we are nine years later, and we've got six employees, plus Debbie, plus me. We've got six company vehicles. We're all over Sacramento. We've got a five-star rating on Yelp. And I'm thinking, the Lord, you've been so good. There's a sense of, of pleasure and satisfaction and joy seeing what can be accomplished through work. Work is not something to dread. It's something to enjoy and cultivate in your life and, and taste its rich blessings for you. Enjoy the blessings that God brings you through hard work. Cultivate a relish for it. I would also say, parents, I, I would encourage you not to, to punish your children by making them work. Because if you say, oh, you did that, go out and mow the lawn. As though now working is a punishment. The child's going to associate negativity with work. You want to teach your children to love to work, to enjoy working, to have a strong work ethic. And if you punish them by making them work, they're going to have a distaste for work their whole life. So if you don't have a relish for work, ask God to give it to you. Ask him to help you to like what you do, to enjoy it, to find satisfaction and joy in doing it. Another remedy for laziness, remind yourself that work is the one of the ways that you can show love to other people. It's the way that you can show love to your family by providing their needs for them. It's the way that you can show love not only to your family, but to your God, because you have money to give to the work of the kingdom to the work of the Lord. It's a way that you can love your church because there are going to be needy people in the body of Christ that you'll be able to help by working. It's a way you can show love to your neighbor. If they need help, you can help your neighbor. It's a way you can show love to your employer by working hard and being a blessing to him. 
So work is one of the ways that we show love to other people. It, it, there, there's a noble calling when it comes to work. A fourth remedy for laziness. Establish the discipline of rising early. Now, I know you're not going to like this one. <laughs> but some of you have already established that discipline. And I bet that if you stood up and I, and I asked to give your testimony, you would tell, tell me it's a blessing to rise early. There's so much blessing. Sleeping in, you find that half your day's gone before you get started just because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't shrug off the laziness to get up. But if you'll establish the discipline of rising early, it will be a blessing for the rest of your life. Some of the men of God that I know, that I've read their biographies, who have accomplished most in life, have been early risers. Remember I talked about Charles Simeon? Where they... Uh, <laughs> they locked the gates of the pews on him because they didn't like him. And <laughs> Anyway, that pastor, he would get up at 4 o'clock every day. And for the first 4 to 5 hours, he would meditate upon Scripture. And he wrote like, I don't know, 26 volumes of um, expository thoughts. I, I have them in my library. Be wonderful, wonderful meditations on Scripture. How did he have the time to write 26 volumes? It's because he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now... Everybody's schedule is different. I understand that. Some of us go to bed later than others. But if you know how much rest your body needs, set your alarm. If it's seven hours, set an alarm for seven hours later and then get up rather than hitting the snooze button and just rolling over on your side like the door on its hinges for the next hour. Another remedy, and we've talked about this a little bit already, learn to cherish time. Learn to cherish it. The scripture says that we are to redeem the time. That means to buy it up. If we're to redeem it, it must mean it's valuable. Look upon the, the moments of your time and see what you can crowd into those moments when nothing is happening. Can you, and while you're sitting in a line in the post office, can you whip out a card and memorize scripture? buying up the time. When you have an evening where you have nothing else to do and you know your neighbor is sick, can you take him over some chicken noodle soup, buying up the time? Can you crowd good works into your life where you're overflowing in the work of the Lord? If we have a heart for this, the, the ideas that will come to us will come from all over the place because there's so much need all around us. Another remedy, choose your friends carefully. If you choose a friend that you spend a lot amount of time with who wastes time, you are going to be encouraged to do the same thing. You'll find yourself emulating their example. Choose a friend who you know is wise in the use of their time, and that's going to rub off. It will inspire you. So choose your friends carefully. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals and it will it'll corrupt you in terms of in either encouraging a spirit of laziness or encouraging a spirit of diligence and productivity and then finally pray you know this is the kind of prayer that god delights to answer lord please deliver me from laziness and make me a hard productive worker help me to do something with my life while i still have it the Lord delights to answer prayers like that because they're according to His will. 1 John 5 says that if we pray anything according to His will, we know He hears us. 
And if he hears us, we know we have the requests that we've asked from him. Tony Rinke, an associate of John Piper and Desiring God, gave a message on sloth. And I just want to quote you just a short portion of that sermon because I thought it was so good. He says, Sloth will cost you joy in God in your daily routines. Sloth will blind you to how God designed vocation as a means for you to love others. Sloth, and by sloth he means laziness. Sloth will blind you to the needs you can fill. Sloth will cost you your love for the local church. Sloth will dull you with endless amusements. Sloth will blind you to your urgent need for Christ. Sloth will close your eyes to the wonder and beauty of Jesus Christ. Sloth will mute your worship. Sloth will rob you of true leisure and refreshment. And sloth will kill your richest joys. Sloth, laziness, is a sin that God is calling us to put to death. And the way we do that is by being serious about it, by confessing it as sin, and asking God to give us grace to change. And God will sanctify you if you have a heart that cries out to Him and asks Him to do it. Lord, right now, all of us are guilty to one degree or another of laziness. And we pray, O God, that you would convict us, that we could no longer remain unchanged in that pattern. We pray that you would show us what we can do that's productive with our life. Give us the strength, Lord, and we pray you would incline our will to relish and find joy and delight in that work that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.